We are continuing this stare into the purpose of Jesus coming to earth, which today, uh, in the chronology of things, comes to a culmination. And that's why the catchy title of the sermon, did you see the catchy title? To Die. And we want to look at John chapter 12, verse 27, at one of these statements that Jesus makes about his reason for coming to earth. It's an interesting scene. Greeks are seeking to know Jesus, and when he gets word about that, it's as if he says, okay, the hour has come, here it is. And in verse 24 there of John chapter 12, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must, what's it say? Follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. That's the text. Jesus wants us to follow him. Amen? In fact, you could say this message in a sentence this morning, and that would be it, that Jesus expects his servants to follow him. And that sounds pretty good if you're talking about following him into heaven. I could go for that. Jesus is going to heaven, sure, I'll follow him there, but it doesn't sound quite as appealing when you're looking at an arrest, a brutal torture, and a death on a cross. And that's what this is about. Still, Jesus said to follow him. So I'd like to take these words from John 12, and I want to see just what that means what it means to follow Jesus, especially in this context. It means, for one thing, that we need to follow him to bring glory to the Father. Somebody has described the difference between mindsets of dogs and cats in this way. Your dog looks at you and thinks, my person takes good care of me. He feeds me, he gives me treats, he grooms me. He lets me in and out. He must be a god. And your cat looks at you and says, my person treats me really well. He feeds me. He gives me treats. He grooms me. He lets me in and out. I must be a god. So when it comes to that mindset, which one of those are you when it comes to God? You see, life in Jesus doesn't begin with you, does it? Remember the first words of Scripture? In the beginning, God. And the last verse of Scripture, Revelation 22, 21, ends with this, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. So from the start of space-time history to its end, the beginning of eternity, God is the unchanging focal point. It says in Scripture, in him we live and move and have our being. Sometimes we forget this, don't we? 
started with Adam and Eve, and we've been keeping it going ever since. Of course, I believe in God, just like I believe in a lot of things that are supposed to make my life good. To a certain degree, I believe in the government. Hang on. Their job is to protect the nation and to see that justice is enacted for all of our citizens. And when I pay my taxes, I'm paying for that, right? To a certain degree, I believe in our first responders, especially this past week. Their job is to come to our aid in emergencies of all kinds. And when I pay my taxes, like, by the way, my county wants me to start paying more in a vote this next week, I am paying for that. To a certain degree, I believe in the medical community. Their job is to provide good treatment for my physical body and to keep it going the best that it can. When I pay medical bills, I'm paying for that. To a certain degree, I believe in the public education system. Their job is to teach my children and to give them the tools, the basic tools that they need to think right and to be able to develop good skills and become intelligent and productive. When I pay my taxes, I'm paying for that. And I believe in God, too. I pay for his services with my good deeds and my generosity, so I expect him to do his job, right? Hmm. Where did we get that kind of thinking? Well, it wasn't from following Jesus. Look through the words of Jesus, especially in the book of John, I noticed this, and make some notes sometime about the times that Jesus talks about while he was here on earth that his purpose was to bring glory to the Father. Chapter 4, verse 34, Jesus said, My food is to do the will of who? Him who sent me, and to accomplish his work. Chapter 5, verse 30, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Chapter 6, verse 38, I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Chapter 8, verse 28, I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father has taught me. Chapter 15, verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. You see, Jesus pursued this agenda while he was God during those 33 years that he was here on the earth. God in the flesh, God with us, God in the form of a servant. He demonstrated an agenda that is just impossible to ignore. He was doing the work of the Father, the will of the Father, by the authority of the Father, at the command of the Father. He was bringing glory to the Father. And so, when it was tough, he stayed on track with that. Here in this 12th chapter, verse 27, Jesus said this, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose, I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Jesus is thinking out loud how easy it would be to step off track from what he's supposed to do while he's here. 
Why won't he, though? Because he's living on purpose, and his purpose on earth is to bring glory to the Father, the one who sent him. If you find yourself tending to wander off, I want to suggest to you this morning that you try taking a look at who is the focus of your life. Because if you're following Jesus, then you're living life to bring attention and glory to the Father. That's the example that he set. Those are the words that he gave us, not to yourself. There is no selfie in life when the camera's always pointed at God. Amen? Here's another way that we follow Jesus, another reason. Okay, I can do that one, by the way. Give God glory. That's a good one. Follow Jesus, bring glory to God, check, got it done. Here's another one, though. Follow Jesus when it's hard. Verse 27. For 50 years, every first week of August, up in the northern woods of Michigan, Manistee State Forest near Kalkaska, there was a gathering of Christian men called the Northmen. For 50 years, hundreds of guys would descend on those woods for about three days, camp out, and be manly. There was preaching, there were workshops, there were times of worship together that were hard to beat. My dad was a part of the Northmen from its very beginning, and so my family had some ties to it over the years. 2011 was supposed to be the very last Northmen, and my four brothers and I were invited to speak that year. So, there we were, camping in the forest, living in tents, eating wild blueberries, being manly. And the first day into it, as we are up and getting ready for the day and working on breakfast, my brother Dan was working on lighting the tabletop propane stove, you know, with the little canister and hook it up, important safety tip. Make sure the little connector that connects it to the canister of explosive propane is tight. I hear my brother Dan light it, and suddenly, there's a whoosh of flames pouring out of this can. And I hear my brother go, uh-oh. Very observantly, I looked over at him as the flames are pouring out. And I could tell right away, it was right next to all of our supplies under a cover, right next to it. Everything was about to go up in flames. Blowing on it really hard did not work. So my brother Dan grabs the flaming stove, throws it onto the ground, and proceeds to drag it over to the fire pit that we had. Well, by this time, some of my other brothers and me have joined, and, and uh, we are saying things, and throwing sand on it and trying to get it out. And by this time, someone else with a vested interest in a nearby campsite came with a fire extinguisher and blew it all out. Crisis averted. So we're looking at one another after that happened. And you know that funny giggle that you get after something horrible has nearly happened? <laughs> How about that? <laughs> Last Northman and the Nichols guys burned down the woods. <laughs> and we were complimenting my brother Dan, who had dragged it over there. We said, Dan, we want you to know we were all behind you, way behind you. Can you hear 
ourselves standing in the crowd as Jesus says what he says in verse 27. Wait, was, what was it that Jesus said? Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? Troubled, you know. Troubled, like the word that's used to describe the apostles when they're out in the boat and Jesus comes walking to them in a storm on the water. Troubled, you know, like Zechariah when suddenly an angel appears out of nowhere and starts talking to him. Same word, it's Jesus here who says about himself now, he is the one who's troubled. He's troubled because it's crunch time. His mission is about to get really really hard. Oh, we're behind you, Jesus. Way behind you. Does Jesus want us to follow him only when it's easy? It's important to understand this. It's important to understand that Jesus walked into this and knew about the cross. He knew about the mission of his life very early on, and that is what he's talking about when he says, what shall I say? Father, save me from this? He wasn't stumbling into some unknown accidental event. This was right after Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey like Brian was speaking about, a journey that he was making so that he could be in Jerusalem at the feast of Passover so that he would be arrested, so that he would be tortured, so that he would be put to death on a cross. Now is my soul troubled. That day he made the journey from Bethphage to, or from Bethany to Bethphage. I've got a map overhead, it would look like that. That's just covering not two miles. And after Bethphage getting a donkey, he arrives at the Mount of Olives and he begins the descent on the Mount of Olives from which he could overlook the whole city of Jerusalem before he crossed over the Kidron Valley. And it was during that descent, apparently, that the big triumphal entry happens. People are shouting, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Luke, the only one that records it, records that before that parade made it into the city, back up a little bit out of the valley and into the city, Jesus is weeping over the city. That triumphal entry included the Savior, Jesus, with a deeply troubled soul. He knew this was his purpose for coming to earth, and he reflects on the moment and asks the question, what do I say? Father, deliver me from this? Jesus wants you to follow him. You suppose he meant follow him only when it's easy? I don't read in the Gospels anywhere that Jesus turns to his disciples and says to them, okay guys, it's about to get really, really hard. You can stop following me now. Follow him when it's hard. You know, when you signed on to follow Jesus, when you do sign on to follow Jesus, what you were doing is making a lifetime commitment, a lifetime commitment. That's longer than a timeshare. That's longer than a line at the DMV. You're signing on for life. And if you're a servant of Jesus, that is a lifelong relationship, and he expects you then to follow him when the going gets tough. Let's keep going. He also 
wants you to follow him when it seems like a loss, but it's actually gain. You've heard of a paradox. That's not two docs. A paradox is something that sounds self-contrasting so that it, in, a, in a, an ironic kind of way, it points out and challenges our thinking. For instance, if a liar says, if someone who always lies says, this sentence is false, is that a true statement? Think about that over lunch today. Jesus drew attention to a paradox here in John 12 as he spoke about his mission on earth. And it's necessary to understand the mission of Jesus here. Jesus came to, to die, right? So he reflects on that. Verse 24, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. That's a paradox. That's the paradox, first of all, of a grain of wheat, you know, a grain of wheat. Until you take it away from the plant and bury it under the earth where you can't see it, it's just one grain. But for it to produce more, you've got to be willing to let it go. You've got to be willing to bury it and put it out of sight where you know it's actually going to be radically changed. But when it does, it springs to life and bears fruit. That's what Jesus is saying about a single grain of wheat. That's the paradox. For a while, it looks like it's lost, but in its loss, it produces. Can't hang on to your wheat seed and also the wheat plant that it produces. And Jesus then says the same is true of your life. If you're going to follow Jesus, you have to hate your life. That's what it says, right? And I know what some of you are thinking. Some days I'm really good with that. Some days, you ever said that? Have you ever said, I hate my life? Well, if you ever were a teenager, yes, you did. At least once. But I want to tell you that is not what Jesus is speaking about here. In fact, somebody who is constantly thinking that or constantly speaking that is probably doing exactly the opposite of what Jesus is saying you need to do here. Because if you spend your time fretting about how your life isn't as good as you wish that it was, about how other people are doing well when you're not, how everybody's life looks just awesome on Facebook and yours doesn't, then you're loving life in a way that's going to lose it. And that is exactly the opposite of what Jesus was doing as he spoke these words. He was about to give up his life and it was going to seem like a terrible loss, but it would result in the greatest of gains. And he wants us to follow him into that. 1971, Indianapolis 500. I just got Scott Cruden's attention by saying that. It was a race filled with mishaps. <laughs> the pace car crashed at the beginning. And on lap 164, Mike Mosley's car lost a wheel. He skidded out of control into the wall, bounced off into some previously crashed cars off the side of the course. His car burst into flames. A 40-foot wall of fire shot up. And seconds later, who had just been behind him, Gary Bettenhausen, stopped his car 
jumped out of his car while it had barely stopped and ran to go help. Fire crews doused the flames. Mosley survived the accident. He was injured, but he survived with injuries. And Bettenhausen had gotten out of his car. This man who had given up all kinds of things to be able to race in the race with the hopes of winning gave it all up when he jumped out of his car to help someone, and he finished 10th. He was given a choice, and he made a good choice, and he was cheered for that choice that day. Until you're able to quit being all caught up in your own personal well-being You're grasping after something that you really can't keep. That's what Jesus says here. But this is much bigger than just about your life now. Jesus said, did you look at it? This is about heaven. Whoever loses or whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for what? Eternal life. Now we're talking about heaven, not just here. Jesus says to follow him into that. Another place that we need to follow Jesus, and this is getting better and better, isn't it? Last one, is that we need to follow him into great victory. As Jesus proceeded into his last days before the cross, he wasn't just thinking about the suffering that he was going to endure. He was looking beyond that. This year, we have been following this theme. Do you remember the theme, All Eyes on Jesus? The theme is that because we're going to find in Jesus our hope, our answers, everything that we need to deal with what life is dishing to us. We want to put every eye on Jesus. That comes from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. I don't grow tired of those words. What do you suppose helped Jesus to endure? What do you suppose helped Jesus to answer the question when he asked, what shall I say, Father, save me from this hour? What do you suppose helped him to remain faithful and pure so that when he did arrive at the cross, he had lived a life that was without sin, without sin? He was living his life on purpose, and he was living with the end in mind. We need to follow him in that. No person who ever shipwrecked his or her life by some terrible choice did that with the end in mind. No man ever woke up one morning and thought to himself, I think I'll cheat on my wife today. I'll lose my marriage. I'll lose my relationship with my children. I will lose the respect of my friends. I will lose my respect for myself. And when it all falls apart, I will be a miserable wreck. So, yep, I think I'm going to cheat on my wife today. No, the only way a man can do that is to close his eyes to the end of his actions. 
No young person ever said to himself, you know what I'm going to do? I am going to go get totally stoned today. I'll lose my car, I'll lose my driver's license, I'll lose my job. I'll be permanently injured from the car accident because of it. It will ruin my life forever, so yep, I'm going to go get stoned today. No, the only way a person can do that is to close his eyes to the end and act in ignorance of that. Listen, Jesus died with the end in mind. His life was lived on purpose, and it says there in Hebrews chapter 12, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. I don't know if you've given those words much thought lately, but it is still mind-blowing to me. For the joy that was set before him. Jesus set his course so that he would end up on the cross because... There was a joy to be gained, and as best as I can understand it, that joy is the joy of being our Savior and having us with him in heaven forever. Think about that. Some of what Jesus hears in heaven and will hear forever is written down for us in Revelation chapter 5. It says they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you, these are words to Jesus, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. You see, Jesus is going to be forever honored and forever loved as our God and our Savior. And that is the end that he had in mind as he went to the cross. If you struggle with having a right view of your personal worth, maybe you should reconsider that the creator of all that is wants you forever with him, his prize, and that he gave his life for you to have that. If you're struggling with living life with the end in mind, I want to redirect your sights to following Jesus, to going where Jesus goes. Jesus wants his servants to follow him. Amen? He wants, he expects his servants to follow him. And that includes following him into life that lasts forever and following him into great victory. That's his plan. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul's writing about the resurrection. I know it's not Easter Sunday yet. It's okay to talk about the resurrection. And he says there, this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. For when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death has been swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. As Winston Churchill spoke of the huge struggle that his nation was going to have to face, he also included in his words words of encouragement, words of reassurance that victory was attainable, and reminders that they must not give in to the enemy. Let me remind you this morning that following Jesus 
Even following Jesus into his greatest sacrifice is of much greater importance, much greater importance than what happened in World War II. It is of much greater importance for every one of us today. In this world and its governments, they're going to be gone one day. They're going to fade away, every one of them. But the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. I read that somewhere once. And this is why Jesus died. And this is what the cross is all about. You must understand that this morning. And you now have a choice to follow him. Jesus expects his servants to follow him. Peter was writing to Christians who were facing difficult times in 1 Peter chapter 2 when he wrote these words. For to you, for to this, you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you've been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. That's the gospel story. That's what we're inviting you to today, to follow Jesus, yes, to follow him into glorifying God, to follow him into difficulties, to follow him when it gets tough, and to follow him into great victory that he wants to share with you. He died. He bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin, and live to righteousness. That's what a Christian is. That's what a follower of Jesus is, somebody who's trying to live that life out, someone who acknowledges that they needed it and accepted that gift from Jesus. And so today, we're inviting you to become a follower of Jesus Christ. Unashamedly, we're asking you to do that. This is the sales pitch at the end. You're right, because we want you to have that too. So I'm going to ask you, please stand up with me. This is a time to to think through, all right, I've, I've listened and God's word, there's something for me to do about it. If you're not yet a follower of Christ, here is the something for you to do about it. If you believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be, if you understand that you need him as savior in your life, then what he wants for you to do is acknowledge that, acknowledge him, say goodbye to your old life, be baptized into him, and begin a new life today. You can go, as Jesus called it, from death to life. There are a whole lot of people standing around you here right now who once were dead and now are alive. And we would love more than anything to help you begin that relationship with Jesus today. If you're joining us online, then we want to invite you online it's a lot less personal, and you've got to help us with that. You've got to make it personal by contacting us at the church. Uh, cccrockford.org slash connect. Fill out a connect card or contact us by email. We'll get right back with you. But please don't go through the rest of this day, the rest of this week, just thinking about this. It's time to act. Let's pray. 
Father, now here, having looked at your word, we pray that it will do its work, that it will not return to you empty without accomplishing its purpose. How much more we don't want that the life of Jesus given on our behalf would be empty or meaningless to any person here. Father, please help us to address the areas of our life that you're wanting to work on and especially help us uh, among us, Lord, anyone who needs to make Jesus Lord and start that life to make this the day it happens. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.